Greetings. My name is James Major Burns, and this is The Third Degree with me, your host, James Major Burns. People in the world, this is a safe space for myself and others to speak on things in our lives, in our worlds. This is a chance to see what's behind the mind of the creative, because what you see and what you hear and what you think ain't always the truth. Here you get to laugh, live, love, and sometimes debate with love. So today I have a very special guest with me, the Grand Dame of Lancaster, not to be confused with Kern, uh, Jason Griffith, also known as GG. Woo! Greetings. Greetings. Thank you for that lovely introduction. Well, that's just, you know... This is probably going to be my highest rated Lancaster interview because you are one of the grand dames of Lancaster. Am I saying it right? Lancaster? That's your choice. Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. I need you to, uh, you know, loosen up a little bit. Go ahead. <laughs> you know, show a little personality. But we're going to get into some of the things of the things. So, you know, uh, we are, we met through our good friend Joshua. And, you know, me, Trey, and Joshua did a podcast uh, at some point in the last six months. And the conversation uh, was a very interesting and thought-provoking conversation. I talked to a lot of people about it, and you were one of the people that I talked about it with. So was that the only episode of my podcast that you listened to? Yeah, so far that is the only one. Oh, that is so, (laughs) so great to know. Huge fan here, huge fan. So um, I know it's been a little while, but just to like a brief recap, what were your thoughts when you were listening to the episode? Oh, it was very enlightening. I get to see some inner parts of you guys that I didn't know or aware of, was aware of. Um, some stories that were told, I think, that all three of we were learning for the first time. But I also got to know a little bit more of the depth of you guys just being around you or usually out in the public forum or a personal, more fun kind of upbeat tone to pair, compared to where this was more personal more hands-on as far as personal experiences. So it was definitely another side that I didn't see, which bought me, piqued more of my interest towards you guys and getting to know more about you guys. So he was basically like, they're not just dumb little gay boys. (laughs) They actually have like, you know, (laughs) a little bit of intelligence. But um, no, that conversation definitely went somewhere I wasn't planning on going. I had a whole... A format line outline written up but I just let the people lead me because sometimes that's what a shepherd has to do so um we were having a conversation about uh our queerness and being black and queer as well and in different parts of history or time those things mean different things so when I was you know in my a very young boy versus when I was like a preteen teenager 20s till now like my 30s like the it's all been like a different um a a, a separate experience especially for people who are born in the time or for me like especially the people who have been born later and especially when uh the queerness became less taboo and more general 
and then more accepted in uh, the public eye and then mainstream. Right. So uh, the experience, I like having those conversations with people all the time. And it's just something about me wanting to know uh, a person's journey and especially a black queer person. Because sometimes I just connect off the back with that. I'm like, wow, oh, we kind of have a similar experience, whether we're uh, black people um, or sometimes when we're queer, then especially if we're both. And then you can break it down into so many different categories. Like for me, uh, being like flamboyant or uh, feminine and masculine, there's just so many different categories. But it, it can be with anything else. You know, you see somebody wearing a Steelers hat, you already know what it is. You know, yeah, one hundred percent. But like this thing for me, it's just it's one of my, uh, it's just you know it's one of those things for me. It's tattooed on my heart, so I'm always speaking about it with people, whether I'm doing it on a podcast or in person. So I definitely I'm glad that you listened to that one episode. Such a fan. Um, <laughs> but I was glad that we did have a conversation about it, which we will talk about here because your experience. Um, is much different because, you know, you grew up in a different time. Now, we might not say what time that was, and I don't know how it feels, but for me, it's so interesting because I when I wasn't there. Like, even for me in high school, uh, it was, it had changed some. Yeah. So from the time I was in elementary school to middle school to high school, it had changed some. And then when I graduated, the shit had really changed. I was like, wow, like, I couldn't even imagine what it would have been like to have less stress. So for me, I'm like, okay, Jason is about this age. So I wonder how this was for school, but it also depends on your journey of queerness and like where you were with that. But then you also have a very, uh, a very, how do I want to say this? (laughs) Not like you have a very different experience with, your blackness as well. Right. So growing up in both of those experiences, um, I don't even know where I want to start. Cause I kind of want to start with your dad. Cause, <laughs> cause like Everybody dad. does. <laughs> right. So, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your black experience first growing up, um, in your household? Well, <clears throat> when I, my mom, my dad's black, my mom's white. Um, my dad is mixed a little bit with his blackness and going the whole way up. That's all his relatives, like my dad, my great grandfather, great grandfather, for the most part, all have some kind of mix in them. Um, but the long story short, real quick with my parents was my dad met my mom in Lancaster on a college scholarship. And it was literally back then it wasn't okay for a white woman to be dating anybody but a white person. so they started secretly dating went through the whole a white guy showed up it was supposed to be my dad it was never him they left the house it was okay and then always met up with my dad hold on we gotta we gotta go through that so your mom had to disguise another man to come to the house to get her yes that's love y'all but like she came she was like okay so this is this is John this is John and it was a white man named John who wouldn't believe that. Right. Like, so, I mean, I mean, that was easy peasy. Like, and John would come and pick up your mom and then John would drop your mom off with your dad. Right. So John knew Jason. 
Uh, John, I'm sorry, John. Who was the What was the man's name? <laughs> I don't know the guy's name, oh but my, my dad's name sorry, is John. Right. That's okay. Jason, I, was thinking, I was like, wait, no. John knew John, but wait, no. Right. It was just one John. <laughs> right. We can call my dad Griff to keep Griff. it clear. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. Senior Griff. Mm-hmm. Um, that is just so funny because I just thought about it. I was like, wait, what is this man's name? Oh, my gosh. We can call him so Fernandez. We're gonna. His name is Fernandez. So. But Fernandez, Fernandez wait, couldn't come to the door either because he wasn't white. You know what, right? Timothy. So Timothy was disguised as John. Right. Did Timothy know your dad? Um, he had to have at least known of him because he didn't just drop my mom off somewhere by herself. And by the way, you can't be here. So he was in on it. You know what? Right, right, right. That makes sense. So, so Timothy was a good friend. Of my mom's. Of your mom's. Let's yes. just be clear. Timothy was not. Timothy was impersonating John, but at no time do we have any record of Timothy and John being friends. Right. That is very funny. Shout out to <laughs> Timothy because that's what's up because he could have got his ass beat too. Right. All right. We can move on. So what would happen and they'd go on date night, do whatever they did, and then Timothy would meet my mom and dad back at wherever the meeting point was, and then he would take her home and wave to my grandparents in the window like hey she's home safe so this is really interesting so i wonder what timothy would do when your mom was with your dad because it's not like he can just go out and go on a date on right. himself because like what if you're this is just such a yeah. I, this is a novel this and is i have nice... no i have no details on how he passed his time while they were on date night oh my god i never asked but that's something that is i so could funny. ask that is you're gonna have to we're gonna do a part two <laughs> i want to know a little bit more about timothy yeah. No, so he would, your parents would do what they do. Timothy would come back, drop her off, and your parent, grandparents just in the house, like, hmm, nice, wholesome yep. young John. Yes, yes. Mm. Meanwhile, you know, they're watching. My, my mom knew by the way they respond to other races in public that John wouldn't be accepted. So it went on for such a long time. And literally at one point, my mom sat them down and said, hey, I want you to watch this movie. And she showed them, guess who's coming to dinner? So your mom was ahead of the game. She didn't introduce yeah. your dad to them because she was oh, like, no. I already know what it is. Yeah. Timothy. Okay, cool. But let me digress a second. But in the meantime, my mom was meeting my dad's family, and that was totally okay. Oh, house party. <laughs> yeah. So she was going to the cookouts before people were being vi- invited to the cookout. Yes, wow. yes, yes. And they loved her. It, my dad's side of the family, totally open arms, totally wonderful, which, again, was kind of – you know, for being so young when we're hearing the story, you know, and even in my teens, hearing the story, it's like, well, why were they okay with it? Why weren't your parents okay with it? We kind of had an idea of why her parents weren't because as we were growing up, when we hit five, six, and seven, probably closer to seven, my brother and I started seeing how we were treated as the black kids compared to my mom's brother's kids who were all white. So for instance, my mom's brother's family the white family will say they were always invited on vacation with my grandparents in public. They were always out going here, going there. They bragged about them everywhere. Me and my brother, we were only invited to the house. Now, I guess before we go any further with that, finally my mom showed that guess who's coming to dinner. And when the movie was over, the doorbell rang on the front door. And my mom said, well, guess who's coming to meet you? Your mom is a legend. What's your mom's name? Diane. Diane. Yeah. Shout out to Diane, who was going to be turning 70 this year. 
-hmm. Happy birthday. Happy early birthday. If she listens to this, shout out because legend. Okay. Well, we can't let her listen to it till after the surprise. Oh, yeah. Okay. Damn. Yeah. We, we, <laughs> we, we hit you back, Diane. <laughs> Miss Diane. Sorry. <laughs> but um, yeah. you're right. You're right. We hit you back in uh, August. Yeah. So doorbell rang. My mom walked up with her dad. Who's here this late? My dad, Pap, used to call my mom, honey girl. Who's here, honey girl? Oh, come on up. I, he's like, this is John. That's not John. No, this is John. My Jacob dad went to shake her hand. Yeah. <laughs> John Jingleheimer Smith. Yeah. <laughs> um, Doris, come on up here. Here comes the grandma. Who's that? That's John. We don't know John. Well, this is my boyfriend. No, your boyfriend's white John. Well, no, this is my real boyfriend. I wanted you to know. This is who I've been seeing for X amount of time. We've been dating, et cetera, et cetera. They were shocked, speechless. And my mom simply said, so you have a choice to make. You can either gain a son or you can lose a daughter, a potential son-in-law, or you can lose a daughter. You're a lot like your mom. And they were like, oh. So slowly, my dad was able to start picking her up down the street a little bit and work his way to the front porch. And as time went on, my grandparents, more so my pap, found out that my dad shared a similar interest as my grandparents, not my mom, cards, playing pinochle. Hmm. So once that was exposed, well, why don't you come to the house and let's play some pinochle? My dad won them over by knowing how to play pinochle and playing pinochle. So all of a sudden, he get, they gave them space and they were like, oh, this is really great. As long as it happened behind closed doors at their house or at our house. Um, but before that got, before my brother and I were here, my mom and dad had been back and forth a couple of times in Pittsburgh where I was born and my dad was born. My brother and my mom were born up here and my dad quote unquote kidnapped my mom <laughs> a couple of times and took her to Pittsburgh. Diane wasn't allowed to go anywhere. And the grandparents like, you can't go, you can't go. Well, I'm gone. They called the cops. The cops drove the whole way to Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. Over time. Oh yeah, Over it wasn't. Time. Yeah, it wasn't before. It wasn't like now. You just pick up a phone and call, or so, or radio. So they would send the Lancaster police to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, to collect their daughter. Jurisdiction. They had nothing to do. With, I don't know nothing well, about jurisdiction. Well, it was uh, back then. It was a white woman was kidnapped by a black guy. Period. Let's go. Okay. Yeah. So that happened a couple times, you know. And then, uh, from what I'm told. The one day, I guess they did get the phone number to my dad's parents' house, and they called down there, hey, Mr. Griffith, we're looking for Diane. We haven't seen or talked to her. Is she there? Yeah, she's here. Um, is, are we able to talk to her? Well, they're not here right now. Mr. Griffith, can I ask you a question? My dad's dad said, sure. Are y'all black? <laughs> my dad's dad said, black as they come. Yes. Okay, thank you. And hung up the phone. Are y'all black? <laughs> yeah. Are you black? <laughs> Hello? <laughs> yep. So they eventually worked their way down to collect my mom again and bought her back. And I guess there came a point in time where they just stopped fighting the fighting the issue as far as it's going to happen. So we have to either embrace it or she'll be out the door and we'll never see her again. That's something like it's just the way it was. A similar way I look at Cornice is like you see a person of a certain age and I can assume they may have went through certain things because they lived through history. And that was the early 70s. And history shows you how people 
are treated. So I'm always kind of interested to know how a person survived, especially something like being black or being, being queer. I'm like, how did you survive? Like I have different struggles, but like, how did you survive these things? Cause I can't even fathom myself having to deal with it. But cause there are reasons people don't want their daughters to date people mm-hmm. today. It's like, no, he's a bum. He needs a better job. He doesn't have a car, but like he's black. <laughs> Damn. Right. And today it's still, he's black, mm-hmm. you know, it might be subtle in, in different ways, but I couldn't imagine like those hardships and uh, seeing people or seeing your dad, like he just looks so, so peaceful. And I know he's, you know, a, yeah. a, he's a, older now. So back then he was more obviously built and, de- and more intimidating. All my friends were like, your dad looks like Mr. T. I was like, for those who don't know from the 18. And yeah. <laughs> yes, my but. fans know. <laughs> All three of them. Now, but um, I remember there was a point in my life uh, when, like, it's like the talk of, I don't know if it has anything to do with colorism, but, like, when people who are biracial, or I always feel like people who are biracial are, are only viewed as black. And at one point, I had did a show with this girl, and it, we had did hairspray. And there were two people on the show who were black, she was biracial, but the, this other guy who was black and one of the black kids, they appear to just seem much more comfortable being around the white kids mm-hmm. who they went to school with. Granted, cool. But when we would be having Negro Day and Negro Dance, they just didn't feel comfortable. And, you know, I definitely was trying to make them feel comfortable. But a part of it, I was bothered somewhat of them just wanting to be with the white kids and and even do their dances with them. I said, you don't even know the Negro dance. You need to get your ass over here. Right. And there was one girl on the show who was like, I'm mostly white. I was like, bitch, where? <laughs> Says who? And she was like, my daddy's black. I said, bitch, yo, your daddy's black? I said, if you have a black parent. And I was like, first of all, I ain't going to say her last name. Because I was like, well, I thought your last name was this. So I thought that meant you were. But, you know, but... At that time, I was like, you know, it's not fair for me to just keep assuming everybody who's biracial identifies as, like, just black. Or I thought, like, they should identify as black or have more of a black experience because I don't know. Especially based on, like, how you look. Right. And I had to be, I had to make myself aware of it because I was like, for me, I felt like I was disregarding a whole half of them. And that wasn't fair. Right. But I still was upset with the girl for, I thought she was denying her side to say I'm right. mostly white. I had never heard a mixed person say that before. Right. I said, bitch, no, you were, you were Negro right. well, in that's, the show. That's kind of what, what put you and I in this space now is because we were having conversations about that. And I got to stop cussing so much, but it's just who I am, y'all. No, <laughs> and it was like we grew up, like we moved from like we New Kensington is a small town off outside of Pittsburgh where we grew up. I was, we were back and forth like three or four times before I even started elementary school. Back at home, there was like 16 cousins that all stuck together on my dad's side of the family. Always together, always did whatever. When we came back to Lancaster, we had one, two, three, like four or five cousins. And it was, we saw them whenever, again, for the most part at their house or they were at our house. We didn't have a lot of public outings with them and my brother and I picked it up at an early age where we asked our parents like how comes cousin so-and-so and so-and-so get to go with grandpa and grandma but we don't 
for the while they made excuses. Well, you know, this or that. But then when it was blunt, like my brother was like, wait a minute. Is it because they're white and we're not? Because we had little mini froze. You could clearly tell that we weren't, we weren't super dark unless it was summer. Cause then we both tan and got really dark. Right. But with a hat on in the winter, we could pass as a little bit lighter. So, eh, you know, but they still didn't take us out in public. It was behind closed door. Meanwhile, our other white cousins, they're going to their, they're going to the beach with them. They're going here with them everywhere under the sun where it was okay. But we were their hidden secret behind closed doors. And my brother and I got old enough to see that he started resenting them from an early age. I didn't take it the same. Like my brother and I are two opposite ends of the spectrum. You know, I'm more happy go lucky. He's more a drill team and he went to the military. So it makes sense. But touching on what you said earlier, we were back then mulatto meant black and white. It didn't mean mixed with everything like it does now. Right. So it was just, Oh, you're so if it didn't say black or white said other, we would check and write mulatto and that automatically people knew you were black and white. You would write that on the paper. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So as we got older, we always checked if it wasn't there, it was like black and white. We always check both. What I didn't realize until talking to my brother about it, he was checking black period. So my brother was always already taking because of despising my grandparents. He was already siding with his black roots because he was being disrespected as a black person. So he started leaning that direction. I was just so happy, lucky, like they'll grow out of it. They'll grow out of it. It took them many moons to grow out of it. But that seed where my brother took it to, I guess you could say, put it with his black roots. I was still leaving the table open. And then what happened to us is we were moved out of a black school district and we were put in an all white school district, except for three adopted black kids and two Asian or slash Laos students. But we were the only black students that were with their natural family. And when we moved up there, oh, it was noticeable quick and it was talked about quick. I, I could, I just like I I understand why your parents would have done it for your dad. I just wonder where his mind was because it's a good opportunity for a better education, right? But then you are the only black kids there, right? And when it comes to even my perspective on that, I feel like I was taught by America, and I say that because of everything I watched, like the two drop rule is if you got 2%, you're black. So that's how I always viewed people until that moment. And then even having the conversations with you, because I'm like, you're black or you're mixed, but it's, you know, it's just, I'm like, we black. That's how I feel. And um, hearing you talk about how you discovered your blackness at, at whatever age, it was so interesting because, I just think of you as a person who knows themselves already. And I do forget people have their own journey until a certain point and become, because I've only known you for so long. Right. So I don't know when you discovered yourself or got to a certain point. It, um, I didn't get it till probably 30, you know, because going into school, it never dawned on me because we were an all white school and we were being, I was being taught in my opinion like we were pulled away from my dad's side of the family. We always, we only saw them quote unquote seasonally. Every time in the summer, we'd go back home for a week, maybe. Meanwhile, we're up here 11 months out of the year, 11 and a half months out of the year with our white family. 
all white events, all white this, other than as we were going through school, a couple other races, diversity started coming to the school district. Um, and it sucked because the people that, I, that were my friends, all the white kids that we event, you know, we made friends, it took time, but everybody's response, as soon as something happened they didn't like or didn't care about, their first defense was to use the N word against me and my brother. Yes. And so that took, that was my first day of school in fourth grade, my first day at the white school, I got in a fight. I mauled this kid because he, we were carrying on with, I was carrying on with some girl. He didn't like it. And he said, stop kicking my friend. I'm like, she's not your friend. You don't own her. He's like, I said, stop kicking my friend, do it again. And I was like, so of course I kicked her foot again, her foot, her sneaker, you know, and he swung and I lost my, I just triggered me. I whooped his butt. Principal pulled us apart. It's like, it looked like a Muhammad Ali event down there. I don't know what happened. And they're like, what you, what do you have to say for yourselves? Cause now the only thing my saving grace was, it was one of the only other black kids there. So I don't know if he was marking his territory or what it was, but she didn't know what to do. The principal was like, uh, uh, I said, so she just separated us, called the parents. And it was kind of like, I don't know what happened. They just started going at it, blah, blah, blah. He later became one of my friends and you know, that year probably, but I got, I'm here. I am in an experience. We were pulled away from a black school. I'm an all white school. And the first person that attacks me is a black person. So that set my mindset as like, okay, the black guy did it. Meanwhile, before I became friends with them, I'm making friends with the white people. So that already in fourth grade started me other than family dynamics started me leaning towards the white people because they were more comfortable with me and I was more comfortable with them. And your experiences are fewer to have with black people in mm -hmm. school. So that's all you can go off of. Right. For however long yeah. with that one guy. Yep. That's so wild. Yeah. So, and it's, and it happened a couple times in fourth grade where again, the first resort was the, always the N word. And I didn't know any better. Like what you say now is when you hear, don't say anything, don't prove them right. Don't show them an angry black person. I didn't know any better. I was in fourth grade. So when he said it, my physical violence, I just, boom. I, all I knew was to defend me or myself was to aggressively hit or do whatever. I was very fortunate because of my dad's side of the family. I was already always built. So I was bigger than all the kids I went to school with. So luck on my side, it 2%. was never really, yeah, it was never really an issue. But then at the same token, the other half of that is all the white kids were scared. They saw what happened to them. They're like, I don't want that to happen. And you could see it in their faces when it happened. Even my friends like, well, wait a minute. When is he going to do that to us? They, why are they so angry? Will you step outside the line. And so what about what age did you feel like your brother was starting to have like a black experience where he was like denying the, you know, where he's just accepting that he was go is black and that's how he was going to live his he, life. He, it started a little bit, I'm going to say sixth grade, probably we were down there, probably fifth or sixth grade. He met another black guy, another adapt adopted black kid that was in the school and they started hanging out and they were thick as thieves and then they both started getting into sports. And I think the more f of his physicality it started developing, he just started, and because of his disgust, because still behind closed doors, we're still a secret. Now we're out in the public school, but we're still a secret. So when we were in the public school, and even when we were dating girls, we were okay on the sports field. 
They want us to run track. They want us to play football. They want us to do all that thing to help help their school. Right. But as soon as that sport was over, those girls that were rooting for us as cheerleaders and cheering for us in the in the in the stands, don't you hang around them. It's like clock out time. Those boys are clocked out. Now you keep your distance from them. We can't have that. We can't have our kids still messing around with diversified kids. But did the kids like not care and still like hang out with y'all? Um, at school, it was okay because you're at school. They're not a big deal. Outside, the girls, they weren't allowed. Dating, don't you? You can talk to them. You can say hi to them. But don't you go or think any further than that. So what did you think of your brother? And like, how did it affect you like to see him having this experience? And did you think like you should have the same experience or you should be trying to do the same thing? No, because we started growing apart once we hit junior high. <clears throat> so I was when he I was in fourth I was in sixth grade when he went to junior high and he started having different friends and I was still with all my comfortable quote unquote white friends. So he started diversifying by talking to everybody. And again, he was getting into sports. So he was already a step ahead of me because he was having all these relationships with a couple other, the, uh, the black or diverse kids in this, in the he area essentially was paving the way for you. Yes. And no, because we didn't get along. So, so no, for like, unless, but I, the awesome thing is because of our family tie, like he, whatever I did, I did. But if he had to back me up, he was the first one there to support me. Right. But as soon as that was over, he won his way, you know. However, though, when we were younger, I was the one that was protecting him. Once he hit junior high, he started picking up weights, and that started turning the tables a little bit. But I was always the one, if you picked up my older brother, I beat you up. So I was beating up people. When I was in fourth, third grade, I was beating up fifth graders. You know, and then if my brother saw it for whatever, he, he would try to beat them up. Sometimes he won. Sometimes he didn't. Okay. We don't want to talk too bad right, about right. John on here because I don't need no problems. Right, 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 right. Today he's beating all ass. <laughs> okay. So it was just, it just kept, everything kept coming. He was, the good thing for him is he was growing and diversifying where I was just stuck there because I made a lot of white friends. Their comfort zone was okay. Not being extra dark. It was just like, well, it was a safe space. I didn't even have the luxury for the females to be like, oh, well, he's gay because that wasn't even, that was Pandora's box that was way down the road. So it was just like, okay, once I hit junior high and started early freshman uh, year of uh, high school, I was dating a female who, a white girl, who her dad was a racist. And he literally was like, you will not, you will not, you will not. I will go to every school dance. I will go to every school function. If he steps on the field or steps near you, I will take you home and leave. So were most of your experiences of black people on television? On television, um, my family, obviously, that I only get to see a couple times throughout the year. That's what I'm saying. So, so we were pulled away from them. If you only get so, to yeah. see them for a year, then yep. most of it would be The Cosby TV. Kids, you know, the, all the atypical so, white black shows. So is that how you view, like, is that how you got your perception? Because, like, then in the 80s when you get hip-hop and everything like that, like, did you perceive the, like, black community from, like, a white perspective? Yes, yeah, because as growing up, as you're saying, like with all the music and stuff going on, they couldn't do that. They couldn't pop and lock. They couldn't do certain moves. They so me that would just came naturally to. I'm out there dancing and performing, and they're like, "He's just the best. He's the best. Oh my god!" So now I'm being loved by these people. I was just trying to get to like me. So OJ Simpson. <laughs> I say they love you like they love OJ Simpson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> If they only knew now, <laughs> but so here my comfort zone just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger with all white people. 
And then I started, you know, and what my dad put us there originally for was the education. I had no choice but to take advantage of the education. So I'm learning, I'm being admired to a degree. That's all. So my comfort zone was all work people. And then when I started in the workforce, the way I spoke immediately changed people's opinion. I wouldn't, I didn't show up to a, a job at 12 when I started working at 12. It wasn't, hey, first of all, my dad and my mom raised us with manners. Hey, sir, Mr. So-and-so, I'm here to, oh. And you always saw the head flip of, that's not how they talk. You know, when people heard me speak and sometimes my brother, it was like, are we being punked? You speak so well. Right. Makes so well and so white without saying it, you know, and because it's like, oh, all right, we're going to give you a chance, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I've always, because of the ethic, work ethic my parents gave me, I always strive to be better. And every job I've had, I've always ended up being a manager or in charge. But those doors were only open by the exposure I allowed those people to see, which was my white side, my educated side. Now, I might not have realized that I was intentionally doing that, but my black side just got pushed away because it couldn't open those doors. So again, falling back to my comfort zone, all I knew was I got pulled away from black family. I got pulled away from a black school system. I got pushed in with all these white people. The only family I see on a regular basis is my white family. You know, we go back home for funerals at this point or just for a week, you know, maybe a wedding occasionally, but everything was being built up white, white, white. And in my mind, that's all I knew. And what I started to accept is my white side, as I called it, got me further. If I spoke a certain way, that got an end result a lot faster. If I applied a certain way or said this is what, that opened up all these doors to where if I walked in and was like, yeah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. My parents are, my dad's black. Whoa, wait a minute. When they found out down the road, it didn't matter because they were already sold on the perception that I gave them. And it turned into, oh, he must be that one. Then it was like the token. Oh, oh they're not all like that, you know. But unless, again, something happened and didn't like, they backtrack and like, oh, dark side. So now you're 30. What it happened that made you feel like, all right, I'm if I have this new exploration of what blackness means to me and how it affects my life and impacts my life now for me to. Well, and I'll rewind real quick before my final year, I think it was my senior year of high school, my junior, junior year of high school. Because of being in that atmosphere so long, things happening, and I, my dad, my parents taught me, you know, you can't physically respond every time something doesn't go your way. So I had to start internalizing that. And then I had to internalize hearing the N-word all the time. I had to internalize, we have nobody that looks like us around us barely. So even though I was enjoying it in the public, I started internally, internalizing everything to where I started getting really sick. So I didn't speak my mind because I wasn't allowed to. I wasn't allowed to react. So now we can't have you react like this. You can't hit people. You can't, you can't verbally abuse them. So I internalized everything. And I was in seventh grade and I had 10 ulcers. So I was on every pill that you could take for your Prozac, everything to the point at my mom, before I went to bed, would make me like four peanut butter sandwiches. So when I woke up in the middle of the night with my, the ulcers so bad, I'd eat a sandwich to cover it, cope and move on. So it finally got to the point, my 10th grade going into 11th, I didn't have my regular doctor. I had a doctor fill in and she goes, Mr. Griffith, did anybody ever tell you these could turn into ulcers? I'm like, As, no, what do you mean? Or I'm sorry, not ulcers, these could explode. She's your ulcers could explode. And I was like, no, she could, 
you would, they just pop burst and you were, ble- I was like, no. So she said, I'm going to give you one piece of advice. You either continue what you're doing, internalize everything, hold all everything in. And you keep going through this pain every year over and over and it gets worse every year. And we keep doing medicating. She goes, so keep hurting yourself or you could hurt somebody else. I said, well, that's how I started this. She said, no, I don't mean like that. She said, use your words. Gosh, or you can hurt somebody else. Bash hands. Yeah, and that's exactly what I was like. I was excited for half a second. She goes, no, no, no. You're like, finally somebody who gets me. Use your words. I remember the first day of school, my junior year, we were in the lobby without saying names, and this one girl walked up to me, and she goes, hey, do you like my new outfit? White girl, obviously. Do you like my new outfit? I'm like, oh, you know, where everybody's listening, lollygagging around. She's like, isn't it so wonderful? I try and looked at her. I went, you really should go back to the closet and try again. And I turned around and walked away. That first step when I walked away, I felt all the years of pressure just release. Like that heavy lift on my chest just go. I was like, that felt pretty good. Huh. It's okay to give my opinion and not hold it in and be entitled to have an opinion, especially when I'm asked. And ever since then, jokingly, I say that started the process of me being an asshole because I wouldn't hold back verbally anymore. I would say what I wanted to say, say what I thought. You know, there's times we have to say it correctly and everything, but I stopped internalizing everything. And every year after that, my stomach got better and better and better. And I did, I only have episodes when it's a highly stressful moment for me, holidays, planning big things. But then I learned how to just get through it without letting it bother me. So that was a struggle. And then as I was out in the clubs again, now I started, I didn't drink till I was over 20. 21, I mean, I didn't drink till I think I was 22, actually. But started going to bars. Again, I'm surrounded by all white people. So I still didn't see anything wrong that I was taught until hanging out. And when we were at clubs or bars, obviously, and seeing and coming into Lancaster, seeing more diversified people, I was like, huh, huh. And I still always subconsciously and consciously swayed away from any other minority because that wasn't my comfort zone and I didn't know any better. If they weren't inside my family core of my dad's side of the family, I didn't make time, makes mind space for them to be a part of my life. It started slowly every once in a while, randomly, I meet my, oh, this is my friend, let's James. James is black. Oh, hey, how's it going? If James was like, oh, it's nice to meet you, I was like, wait a minute. Why was James nice to me? And my other friends were like, I just saw you talking to a black person. I'm like, yeah, what's wrong with that? Because I didn't realize, like, what's wrong with that? He's a person. But it took me some time, late 20s to hit the 30, like, do you realize when you speak how you're pushing them away? But at the same token, you're going, what is everybody talking about? I had to actually realize that I had a problem and I had to figure out how to get over the problem, which I unintentionally in my mind was racist because my first thing was to avoid black people or any other race because I didn't have a comfort zone there. But that was how I was brought up, not purposely, but what I got from what I, the tools I was given to, this is how it is. This is normal. And not until I started having more experiences to where I was like, this isn't normal. So right around 30, this isn't normal. It's okay to take a chance. And I slowly, very slowly, would every once in a while, open that door to have a conversation, you know, with me always being in a restaurant industry, it helped because they were coming to the restaurant. 
So I would just greet them like I would everybody else. Oh, oh how you doing? How you doing? You know, but as soon as I th- heard the, yo, what's up? I'd kind of like back up like, wait, I don't, I don't, I don't speak like that. That's, that's not me. And I would go right back into my white shell person of, okay, out of my comfort zone. So it started very slowly and I just had to grow into learning there is more to me. I am multiracial, biracial. I have to figure out, just imagine all the things I think I accomplished with just my white tools. What happens if I ever opened the black toolbox? And that was, a, that was, that was, that's years and still work in progress to where I'm trying to get, I'm trying to be okay is it isn't a color thing. It's a individual. When I see a person, I mean that person, you know, because take it as a, if you will, like the voice, I get to hear them, pretend I hear them before I see them, you know? So I'm using all type of tools that I've with not professional tools, but all I knew is how do I make this change? Cause I knew I had to make the change for myself. I knew it would better myself. I hoped, and that's what I held on to whatever I can do to better myself, move forward and give myself and other people the equal, equal opportunity to get to know somebody. Because when I was young and naive and stupid, people would literally say to me, so if you're walking down the middle of the street and you saw on the left side, a black person that need help and a white person that need help, who would you help? I said, obviously the white person. And like, do you hear yourself? But I didn't think there was anything wrong with that. Cause that's all I knew. I was surrounded with all white people. I would have probably thought you would never wake up if I met you at that age. I would have been like, oh, he's never gonna wake up. I but they, wrote you but I was with white people and they all thought it was funny. Oh, well, sure. So it was different. If I, that was cute to them like, and that made them feel more safe. He'll pick us. Cause look, we're always with them. I think that's um, an amazing journey that you went on. And there is so many people that have experienced that at different levels, even like you and your brother in the same house have experienced it in such a different way. And it's just one of the many one of the many thorns in the side of humans everywhere. Especially because it with cultures clash. Mm-hmm. And I, it's like, I don't, I don't know anything else but being black, but just being a descendant of slave, African descendant of slavery and the, what black means, cause it can mean anything. That's why the experience isn't, we know what people mean when they say it. It's mm-hmm. a little bit of this edge, this culture of basically like out of the soul, Southern hip hop, like a, an experience that a majority of black people in America experience, but everyone's is different. And that's why even those kids and when I did hairspray, their experience was different. And I wanted them to feel comfortable with us. Right. And you wouldn't have felt comfortable with us because that's not your experience. Right. At the time, it, it, it's offensive to me. It was. I'm yeah. like, how you going to be over there with them? And it's Negro day over here. I dare you. Right. But I was just trying to make it a comfortable space. And I had to learn to for people to feel comfortable. I'm like, we ain't got that much time. We got to do a show. But it also hurt me to see them uh, feel like that. I'm actually friends, good friends with the guy today. I was, I was older too. I'm, I, I was like given, I was patient that they were like this, but I'm like, um, okay, let me just say this, <laughs> you know, like mm. we have conversations because I want to know, I want to learn. I want them to feel comfortable right. in their skin. <laughs> Um, and let's even watching uh, like Potomac and watching ha- them have the conversation about colorism mm-hmm. and 
the complexion like you said your brother is uh darker than you and then y'all are lighter in one part of the year and darker than one part of the year i'm we black but everybody black doesn't experience mm-hmm. that my one of my best friends is light skin and two of them um the i don't know if you met my friend when she came here but they are so light skin mm-hmm. in this in the winter they're glowing right and then they get very dark during the summer but they also try to manage their tan and they like to be a certain complexion sometimes they might not want to be too light because right. you know what people be like i ain't white you know like those small things you can do microaggressions against yourself um those small things affect people in like such huge ways and it's just that's why i said i just like to have conversations like these for other people to hear them because a lot of people experience it but a lot of people don't do the work to and assess themselves and be right. like <clears throat> i know i do lives me and my friend were doing a live and somebody told me one time, they was like, damn, James, you act like you a scoring black woman. You hate black men so much. I was like, <laughs> damn, I, I do kind of sound like a, <laughs> right. a baby mom. Like, and it, it hit me in the face. And I couldn't deny it that that's how I, I had been talking or been a part of the stigma because I was always just talking about how I felt was the stigma was created against me. Right. And I didn't realize that I had created one also. And I was making it this thing until somebody said it to me. Right. And people have probably said it to me before, but whatever reason at that point, I was like, wow, I need to step back and be patient and like, listen. And it takes that, but people can do the work. Some people can help you get the work done, but if it, it frightens me for a lot of the people who are never going to do the work, who are right. going to stay like just in that space, like, no, hmm. but, um, beautiful story. Well, and I figured at the same token, like, Whenever when it started hit me and I started learning to listen more to other people and pay attention instead of just my way, my 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 way, I didn't really have to quote unquote do the work because everybody around me was happy with the product of me that they saw. So I had to see it and realize it to like, wow, they're okay with this, but I had to figure out that I wasn't. And how am I gonna change this? Because none of them are gonna help me change it. And then it's the same token. Was I hindering them because I wasn't allowing them to see other? All they knew is like, oh, we're all here. Well, he's not really comfortable with that. So let's just stay in our bubble. So I'm not helping the situation either because they're like, well, if he's already like that, why do we want to go over there and engage or get involved? So it was just the fact is I had to say to myself, I'm not okay with the product I am no matter how I got here, but how do I do better? You know, and how do I start looking at somebody else like they're just as equal? Because when I was young in my 20s, my shit didn't stink. I was, and because I was successful so early, I came with the attitude with my ass on my shoulders. So I didn't have to prove myself to anybody. I did what I wanted because I worked hard for it. I didn't ask for anything. I worked the hours, 60, 70 plus hours. So I figured as long as I worked as hard as I, I could play as hard, I could do whatever I wanted. So I was like the poorest little rich kid that you knew, but of my own makings. And I had my fan club of friends around me Oh, well, let's go out. And I always, me and my buddy always got the bill. And as soon as it was time to tip, heads in the air. What? Huh? Tip? Huh? What? You know, so I'm not sure what just directed me at one. I just know I wanted to do better for myself. And I also wanted to make, because I had this conversation with my dad, I don't like what I'm seeing. And we've never sat down and had the conversation, though, when you pulled us out of this school district and away from the the family. I think it's a little fast for him maybe, but you know, but he's never had, I wouldn't expose him that on 
that wouldn't be our first conversation with him now. No, no absolutely no, no, no. not. Because you and I might both be injured after <laughs> Maybe that. Maybe John. I don't know. No, no, no. no. I it's, ain't never said that many words to John. Yeah. You know, so, and I remember experience, John came home from the military. And my mom said something to him. Basically, let's just say, I know you didn't, you know better. Take your shoes off. Hypothetically, I forget what it was. And he turned around and looked at my mom. And my buddy, his buddy goes, what did she say? He goes, just ignore her. That's the white in her. She can't help that. I said, what? I took a skillet and threw it in the back of his skull and then ran because he was so big at that point in time. But we didn't go talk to her that way. So when he came back from the military, that was the final. He was 100% black. Whatever they taught him in the military, when he came home, there was, and he would tell you, there's no whiteness. I'm, I'm not white. I'm black. And to this day, he lives by, he is 100% black. And the lie detector determined that. <laughs> 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 All right, okay, look at John. You go, look, you black baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever you want in America, especially today. <laughs> I can't, I wonder what it was like for him to be, because he was. I mean, I mean, he was, especially at that time. He was in the military. Mm-hmm. He was black. He was right. a nigga. Right. And then to be somewhere, to be the Avengers of America in the military and still be a nigga. Mm-hmm. And then discovering your blackness or finding out whatever he was at the height of certain things in America at the time. And to have a white mom, I wonder what that plays through in somebody's mind, especially somebody who might want to be a part of the, the, the movement. Right. But white people were a part of the movement too. But I do wonder what his mind was going through to come back home. And his mom is a white woman versus probably what he wanted because he was being, he wanted to be all black. Yeah. And it, I, I don't know, you know, I, we never, because we weren't close, even when we went to the military, you know, he called home, he's like, let me talk to Jason, let me talk to Jason. I'm like, I'm busy, I ain't got to talk to him, because we are never close. So my mom said to me one point in time, she goes, why don't you send your brother a letter, why don't you, know, just talk to him, he loves you. I said, you don't know me. She goes, she hit me with the guilt trip, well, what happens if, you know, your brother would die, if something happened overseas, because he was, de- I almost said deported, because he was over across seas, whatever, and I said. Back to Caucasia? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and I was just like. Well, what do you mean? She goes, well, something would happen to your brother when he's at, at war. How would you feel about that? I looked right at her. I said, well, I, don't, I wouldn't feel anything. I don't know him to feel a loss. I don't think of her. And he was, she's like, and that really set her back. Like, and she said to my dad, she's like, we have a problem. This is what happened. This is what he said. My dad's like, I said, he's a stranger to me. I don't know him. We grew up in the same household fighting and carrying on like regular brothers, doing chores, cleaning the whole house and covering for each other to an extent. But we grew so far apart. The military, I was like, you know, and plus I knew they were trying to come back and get me when he was done. They said, when you graduate, we back. I said, don't bother. No, thank you. (laughs) You might have had a great time in the military. Don't ask. (laughs) No, well, yeah. Well, see, but even then, like I was, oh God, it was, Definitely, even when I was in high school, I didn't even acknowledge like that's that's like a whole nother story. Oh yeah, we're gonna have to. It's gonna have to be another that, yeah. episode for that. Because bringing that in, it's a whole nother realm. But fighting through the color of diversity, the sexuality, and being the only person I could talk to about was myself, you know, and trying and learning that I can't take it out in anger and physical physicality all the time. So internalizing was the best thing I had, and just staying busy. I had a journal, but if I was your age. I would never have written anything. Oh, God, no. No, I would have never written. I would have never written. Because if somebody would have found, and I never wanted to disappoint my dad in saying that, hey, I think, or maybe. It was never, it was a never, and we were so hard, we were tra- we were raised so hard, it, it wasn't even an option. I honestly think that's what, 
I have this thing in common with you about that and our fathers. Oh yeah, yeah. And it just is one of those things. So I do. I love my dad so much. That he's the strongest man I know, and I just love him so much. Yeah, and we got to a good place. You know, it it took some time, but again, in even my dad distanced from me when we were thirteen. We were standing in one place in the house. I remember it looking. I remember the pictures behind us on the shelves and he's like, you don't have to love me. You don't have to like me. You just have to do what I tell you. And when I was 13, that's exactly what I did. I stopped talking to him. I did what I was supposed to do. I did my chores, did my schoolwork, kept the grades up. As far as we didn't say love, didn't say like, I didn't speak to him unless I had to for the most part, because I did exactly what he asked me to do. And it, till I was like 22, 23, we sat down and had a conversation. I said, yo, this is what you said to me a decade ago. And this is how I felt about you. I wanted nothing to do with you because I thought you wanted nothing to do with me because that's what you said. And he was like, that's not what I meant. My job was to get you from here to 18, but I did love you because that's why I did these things. Well, you don't understand as a kid. So once we, we had that conversation, we slowly started talking and now we have an amazing relationship. It was kind of Mr. and you were Harpo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but like really like I, it just makes me think of my dad and my grandfather because I know how my dad was raised. And even though he wasn't slapping the shit out of us uh, because he didn't have to, um, he did raise us. I know he was raising us how he was raised. And he has said that to us, you know, you ain't got to love me and like me. Y'all just got to respect me because what you're going to do, I'm going to get you to here. And then y'all can do whatever y'all right. want once you're 18 and you grow. Right. But I'm going to get you to here. And he was going to do that by any means necessary. Mm-hmm. Whooping, taking names and kicking ass right. if he had to. And... I felt like, I'm like, well, you could do it with more love. So when he said that to me, I was like, but no, I love you so much. Like, you're going to be be softer. I wish we had one sister. I think that would have softened them up a little bit, but may, maybe we ain't need that. Right. But I, I appreciate so much how we were raised. I do just felt feel like he was, I saw it, and it, it's, it sounds familiar. I'm like, that's how they were raised, and that's right. what they knew. And like he said, I didn't even mean it that way. I just shit that mm-hmm. you a man like you, you said black, there's no you, book there's no book how to raise kids so it was discipline hard discipline discipline every day and rules he was raised that way like you said it was passed down the belt was just as common in the house as a fork and spoon and you're going to fear me more than you fear any other person yeah. on this earth more than the police he'd be like you better be more afraid of me right yep and i'm like i am <laughs> oh yeah and he internalized that when we were in Mannheim, we were at school they had a pilot back then. They sent a corporal punishment paper back to the house. Sinus that allows us to hit your kids in school. My dad said, oh, no, 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 no. You don't put your hands on my kids. Only I put my hands on my kids because there's nothing y'all can do to those kids that I can't do worse. Please. So keep your hands off my kids or I'll come for you. So we thought that was cool. We're like, ah, my daddy, you can't beat us. And so we realized when we messed up, they told him. And then he dealt with it. And we're like, oh, that didn't turn out. Sign the papers. Sign, yeah. Sign the <laughs> yeah. Papers. We, we were we like, please this. sign the paper. Because they're not going to, yeah. Please yeah. sign the paper. He ain't got nothing on my dad. Like. Yeah. No. So, but like you said, fear. And he said, you know, even I have two half sisters and a half brother. And fear. That's, that's, that's all he knew, you know. And in God help if you embarrass him. If I have to come to that school and you're not telling me 100% what happened, don't worry. I'll get you home. And then, you know, you start peeing halfway on the way home and you're crying. And... Just, like, just hurry up and get it over with. So oh, no, no. I just want to get to the other side. <laughs> so it was, it, it's, you know, but it's, it's so weird because the discipline was so there all my life, all my life, you know, but it wasn't enough to, and maybe that's another thing. Maybe since that was there and I seen that's how it is, I didn't want to, I don't want to experience any of that. I just, it's safer over here. 
I'll stay safe here. Mom disciplined us physically. I probably count one hand, you know, so everything there was safe zone. You know, my grandparents, the only time we ever went out in public with them in a public vacation is when we paid to take them on a cruise. That was away and out of the States, out of the United States. Mm. That was acceptable. But my parents had to pay for it. So. Well, they was white and they was raised by other white people. They were opaque. Them, so, <laughs> hell, you know, they kind of is what it was. Mm. You know, I'm like, what? Well, it sounds like white to me, but it's so, it's wild. It's so, I just want to thank you so much for coming on. This was um, a lot of work to get this finished, but I just want to make sure that we can finish. So, so thank you so much. Thank um, you. This is just part one because we're going to come back for part two because there's a whole other side. <laughs> Not a whole other because I know you would have looked at me like, funny. It's like, nah, a whole other side of the Grand Dom of Lancaster that people don't know. We're going to get into some more things like you being the bartender of all time here. But we'll, we'll get into that next time. <laughs>